Blog Talk Radio. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. children can run free so take my hand and walk this land with me and walk Good evening. Welcome to Yada Yada. It is um, being reported prolifically uh, around the world that uh, the uh, United States has uh, is post-peak, that uh, the United States has lost all of its credibility in the world, and that no one will ever again trust the United States. And there is considerable truth to that uh, statement, though I think our calamity is self-inflicted. I recall in the fall of 2001, and vociferously all through 2002, when everyone was rallying around the president and being all patriotic, that I said, you know, it does not matter how long we're in Afghanistan. It doesn't matter how many lives we, we lose there. It doesn't matter how many people we kill there. It does not matter how much we spend, how long we stay. When we leave Afghanistan, it will be as if we were never there. And it was obvious that that was uh, going to be true just by studying Islam, because you cannot fight a religious enemy using bullet bombs. And the United States is unwilling, the world is largely unwilling, to hold Islam accountable for the terrorism that it inspires. So we went to war without having a clue as to who our enemy really was. We thought that... Islam could be peaceful. We thought that people could be negotiated with. We thought we could trust them. But such is not the case. So we left uh, Afghanistan, and and I will say that that while it was my fervent conclusion that we never should have invaded Afghanistan, that that was a tragic mistake with devastating consequences, and the consequences were inevitable, and that all that we did is make a bad situation worse, which is what we did in Iraq, which is what we did in Syria, which is what we did in Libya, which is what we did in the Sudan, which is what we did in Somalia, is what we seem to be best at doing. That if we are going to invade, (laughs) at least have the character to remove those who helped you. 
particularly in a situation where you're dealing with such a, a deadly enemy. There's a report out of uh, Afghanistan um, today uh, that uh, the Taliban <coughs> went into a village um, about uh, three weeks ago. And it was a Sufi village. Uh, Sufi is the spiritual form of uh, Islam. It's really Islam light or, or pretend Islam. And the Taliban don't like the pretend Muslims, and so they went into it. They, um, being typical Muslim thugs, they robbed the home, raped the women. And then when the men came home, it wasn't enough for them to kill them. They tortured all of them to death. When asked why they were doing it, and they said, oh, we're at war. That's just what happens, whether you have weapons or don't have weapons. It is a, a tragic situation, and America is doing, had prepared to do, essentially nothing to help those who had helped us. Um, and that is what causes America to be viewed with such uh, animosity around the world. Disgust is probably a good term. Um, there, is, uh, there are some victors, though, in Afghanistan. One of them is Pakistan. I had told all who would listen that the United States using uh, Pakistan as a, as a means to fight the Taliban was like uh, uh, negotiating with the U.S. Navy to fight the Marine Corps. The Taliban is Pakistan. Pakistan and the Taliban are, are well, the Taliban is one of the armed forces of the, uh, of the Pakistani government. And so the Pakistanis have come out of hiding and are celebrating the Taliban victory. I was right in that regard. There is a, a toll of weapons that we left behind. It wasn't just people. I just received an, an email from a good friend of mine that says the total of U.S. weapons left behind for the Taliban now to use against uh, Afghanis, 600,000 of them. 76,000 vehicles we left behind. What in the blankety-blank did we have 76,000 vehicles in Afghanistan? 163,000 radios, 208 aircraft. You know, there isn't a pilot to fly any one of those aircrafts. If, if you were educated to the point that we could pretend that you were qualified to fly an aircraft in Afghanistan with that Afghani education system being the way that Muslims mostly uh, deal with the students. They all left. If you're smart enough to fly, you're sure as hell smart enough to leave. There is someone to fly. You know, an average American aircraft is about $50 million. We left 208 of them. We left surveillance equipment, reconnaissance equipment. We left 4,700 Humvees. Uh, we out. They used to be about $50,000 a piece. They're probably $100,000 a piece. Yeah, the Taliban are driving them around. They're really proud of them. Uh, I don't know if they're smart enough to put gas in them, but nonetheless, they're driving them around. We left 2,500 bombs. We left 20,000 hand grenades. We left 7,000 machine guns. Why? Aren't we special? Now, if it's easy to point the finger and say that 
Bush was an absolute nincompoop for invading Afghanistan. That it was, I said at the time, I said the invasion of Afghanistan followed by the invasion of Iraq are going to be the final nails in America's coffin. We will not recover from it. I was right. But you can blame, if you want to, Biden now for having a uh, chaotic withdrawal, where he, in the middle of the night, withdrew all U.S. military personnel and didn't bother to remove our embassy staff. He had to send 6,000 U.S. armed personnel back into Afghanistan to withdraw our embassy staff. And, and then we're so chaotic, we have the Afghanis that worked as interpreters and worked in our offices, which the Taliban have lists and will systematically torture. They actually have a document that is an internal uh, uh, Taliban document that specifically says that anyone who is uh, found that have collaborated with the United States will be tortured to death, that we left them there. They, there's pictures of these poor people clinging to the sides of uh, C-17 aircraft as they take off and then falling from the sky. What a travesty. We don't even have the character to save those who worked for us while we were there. It's disgusting. Speaking of disgusting, the WHO, the World Health Organization, that uh, the Biden administration is now sponsoring again, came out and called the United States and Israel immoral for offering booster shots for uh, COVID. Now, the fact is, something that I've said right from the beginning, that if we don't develop boosters for COVID, if we don't determine how long these antibodies last, and if we don't stay on top of the mutations, it's all going to be for naught. Well, we didn't. And I said on the last program, I said the politics of this is a serious problem because what the world wants is to do the impossible, which is to send refrigerated aircraft around the, uh, the world and to pretend like you could come up with a reasonable vaccination program and, uh, in an Islamic country or in an African country, and if that was even physically possible, then it isn't. But we've now learned, and Israel and the United States, that two things. One is, up to this point, the vaccine has been uh, marvelous. Um, in the United States, for example, up until uh, last week, 99.5% of those who died from COVID were unvaccinated. So about half of Americans that are unvaccinated, and yet uh, only uh, uh, half of 1% of the fatalities were vaccinated. So that's great, so long as the antibodies endure. What we found about three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago in Israel, which was the first country to uh, aggressively vaccinate its citizens, that those who were vaccinated back in December and early January, the, the antibodies had begun to fail. And now it's more than half of Israelis who are in the hospital with COVID-related uh, illnesses are fully vaccinated. Not a surprise, since the majority of Israelis are fully vaccinated, but um, we ran past the longevity of the antibodies. 
What a travesty. Who, of course, is slamming us and calling us immoral? Their rule is there is nothing wrong with the vaccines. There's no scientific evidence that proves that uh, you need a booster. And giving a booster is like giving a second life jacket to somebody that already has one while precluding the person that has none from having one. You know, if they want to do it their way, develop their own damn vaccine. They've got enough money. They're so in bed with China. They've got plenty of money. Work with the Chinese to come up with the vaccine. And then do whatever you want to do with it. But if taxpayers pay in a country and they use their wherewithal to come up with a vaccine for a disease that they did not create, and they prioritize the saving of their own citizens, and they recognize that, like many viruses, the antibodies don't last forever. And you want to call them immoral for trying to save the lives of their own citizens? What in the hell has happened to us? Good God, Trump was right about the who. President Xi of, uh, of China uh, is doing what all good communists do. He is jealous that given the opportunity and free enterprise, that uh, we're not all born equal, that some thrive while others do not. And that because of the enterprise zones where they remove communism, there are a lot of very, very wealthy Chinese. But he wants to put an end to all that and wants to confiscate their money. Wealth redistribution, old President Xi says. Media is eating it up alive. Isn't that fair? Isn't that wonderful? But what's going to happen if you confiscate the monies that those who have been successful have made? Is there anybody in their right mind that's ever going to invest again? No. What? Where would people work if there's no factories to work? The workers don't create factories. They don't design the products. They don't raise the capital. Take the risk. So I will tell you that uh, Z is doing a wonderful thing from my point of view. He's stifling the Chinese economy. Good job, Z. So that's the world as we, uh, as we see it. Um, I, uh, I probably should clarify one thing, too, because I've received a number of, uh, of letters on it, uh, most very poorly written, but some uh, quite articulate. Uh, last week, uh, what uh, I meant to say, whether or not I said it correctly or not, this is a, a program without notes. We talk uh, extemporaneously, um, and so there's a possibility that I may have uh, conveyed something that I didn't intend. But let me talk about the vaccine and, uh, and your choice to accept it or reject it. The evidence is overwhelming that the vaccine saves lives. The evidence is overwhelming that the conspiracy theories against vaccines uh, prove that the conspiracies are unfounded and untrue. Those who promote an anti-vax agenda are killing people. In America, I had projected that about 40% of Americans would not accept the vaccine because conspiracy is the fastest growing religion in the United States. And if 40% don't take it, we'll be living with Corona for the foreseeable future, certainly the next two or three years. I said, so 
by not taking it, they're playing directly into the hands of those that they claim are manipulating them. Way to go, boys. And the, the claims made by the anti-vaxxers are so inane, so stupid, that I said, you know, what's fair, what's just, is for those who are encouraging others to risk their lives should lose their lives. Now, if you're just a nincompoop and you can't figure it out, and you've got, you know, your, your, whatever your conspiracy theory is that I'm not going to take the vaccine. I'm going to go ahead and risk my life. I'm going to risk my family's life. So be it. I don't want you to die. I wish you weren't foolish. I don't have any respect for you. But I don't want you to die. But if you're out promoting these conspiracies such that you confuse others so that they are not vaccinated and they die, you've committed an act of murder. God's view on that sort of thing is the same as mine. That for those people, their death is fair. So... That's my position, that uh, if you choose not to be vaccinated, you're foolish. But that's your choice. I wish you all the luck in the world. If uh, you uh, choose to, to lie and be a conspiratorial idiot and send me the kind of emails and others promoting your anti-vax agenda that are written at about the level of a third grader, and you convince others to risk their lives. There needs to be a consequence for that. So I hope that clears up my position on uh, those who are part of the conspiracy. I don't want anyone who promotes any conspiracy to be anywhere near the covenant my translations, what we have learned, Yahweh's name. You're a giant cesspool into which credibility is usurped. I don't even know why the hell you're listening to this program. By the very fact that you're clinging to the world's fastest growing religion, you can't be part of the covenant. It's just as if you were a libertard. It's as if you were religious. All right, let's uh, turn back to where we uh, were in uh, Yeshaya 57. Uh, the story in, uh, in the later chapters of, uh, of Yeshaya, starting at 57, really going all the way through the end of the book, um, I've translated much up through uh, 65 now. Uh, it's the same story, but more biting, if you will. There's more antagonism being displayed by Yahweh, uh, as well as a um, more references to what he felt would be the appropriate solution. But God's really appalled by religion. And well, he has said a lot of things that expose and condemn Shaul Paul, the 
inspiration behind the Christian New Testament, calling him the plague of death, the father of lies, the son of evil. <laughs> the condemnation and, um, and Yashaya, while not entirely directed at Jews, because there's a lot of derogatory statements um, addressing the religion and politics of the Goyim, which God's going to annihilate upon his return. The great preponderance of what God has to say about his disgust against religion is directed to Judaism. These later chapters are specifically condemning Hadistic Judaism. Um, God is appalled. He's disgusted. And for good reason. Those who play religious dress-up, uh, pretending that they, uh, they have their oral Torah, that they're Torah observant, are irritating God beyond comprehension. And they're all going to spend a long eternity in Sheol. A place they don't even believe in. And yet that's where they're going to be. Uh, picking back up at uh, 5717, God says, okay. yeah, with the perversity and depravity associated with his ill-gotten gain and dishonesty, I was provoked to anger. Katash, I was enraged, becoming furious, exceedingly displeased. So I will lash out at him. And I will conceal myself to my, due to my displeasure. God has walked away from Israel. He has literally blinded the religious in his community so that they're clueless as to what is revealed in the Torah and prophets. They spend all day studying every nuance as to how to kill a mouse in your home, according to the rabbis. I don't have a clue as to what Yahweh's name is or what he has to say. Nonetheless, speaking of rabbinic Judaism, he continued to backslide, walking in a rebellious fashion by way of his thinking and inclinations, his judgment, his motivations. Everything about the religion is anti-God. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. You're, uh, you're a community of Jews. You claim to be Torah observant. You can read and speak Hebrew. <laughs> yeah, that's the trash. And oh, you God. don't know God's name, and he revealed his name 7,000 times in his Torah? And you don't even know it? 7,000 times! You will quote rabbis infinitum, but you'll never quote Dode, and his name appears 1,100 times. God says, don't add to my Torah, and what did you do? You created a damn secondary Torah. (laughs) You've got a religion that ties you up in knots, that tells you all the things you can't do that makes your lives 
totally unproductive. You can't watch television. You can't use the Internet. You can't have a smartphone. Of course you can't use those things, because if you use them, you would know that your religion is stupid. We wouldn't want you to do that, now would we? We wouldn't want you to know that your God hates you. Uh, you probably already know that. Otherwise, why would your lives be so miserable? Matter of fact, if you read Jewish sites, they will say that our miserable lives are proof that God is paying attention to us because he's making our lives miserable so that we can be righteous. I'm here to tell you, righteousness does not come from misery, but instead from being right. That's why they call it righteous. I have seen and considered his ways, but nonetheless, I will heal him. I will lead and guide him to reconciliation and restoration, providing comfort and compassion to him and to those who are grieving. I had a friend, a covenant member, write me today and say, you know, I'm trying to help my wife, uh, but she is a Mormon. What mm-hmm. book can I have her read? You know, I've, I've had made some progress with her on a number of fronts. She wants me to read, you know, a typical Mormon book. They're, I mean, to be a Mormon, you absolutely have to be an income poop. I mean, Mormonism is, is in the top three dumbest religions of all time. You, you, it's, it's like a Judaism. You have to be disconnected from reality. And just hanging around other Mormons to be a Mormon, it's, uh, it's, it's pathetic. Uh, Joseph Smith got everything wrong. And it's a book just filled with contradictions. And my response was, don't bother. You can't, you can't fix that. Well, hand her a copy of, uh, of Questioning Paul. It's now four volumes. She can't process it. No. Religion becomes exceedingly adversarial of any threats to its existence. That's a defense mechanism. But when God says, I have considered his ways, but nevertheless, I will heal him. God's not talking about uh, the Hadithic Orthodox Jews. Mm-hmm. He's talking about... Yeah, the, the I wouldn't even say the victims of it. Well, uh, yes, because if you're an if you're a Hasidic Jew, you're in it so deep, there is no way out. Yeah. I mean, yes, if they, when they poll uh, anonymous polls of Hasidic Jews, it's now about forty percent that say, "Yeah, we know it's not true, and we'd love out, but there's no way out." Really? Because. Oh, they're so abused. I mean, they, they admit it. Like it wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. they're, but they're so abused when they, when they try to get out. So because the rabbis are so vicious to those who seek freedom, uh, and because it is, it is so destabilizing, those who get out largely turn to, uh, to drugs and other forms of abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it becomes nigh on impossible. And just getting out, you're still so disoriented. That going from there to the truth is, uh, that's a, a leap too far for most. 
So the only ones that really have a chance are the Israelis who are neither overtly political, and a lot of Israelis are exceedingly liberal. There's a lot of Israelis that are exceedingly conservative. It's a very political country. And those who are overtly political are, are not going to give up their politics. That defines their life. Mm-hmm. And the religious are not going to give up their religion. It defines their life. So we're dealing with a fairly, fairly narrow cross-section of Israelis and Jews worldwide. You know, there's about as many Jews in the United States as there are in Israel, and about uh, a quarter of that many in the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's only the secular ones that we have an opportunity to reach. And I don't really know how many of them. Uh, you know, we're... We're certainly have to be disturbed to the at some point. Yeah. They already have, yeah. have to be disturbed like we were, that we, that we were actually looking. And when we saw a straight yeah. stick among all the crooked ones, we said, wow, there it is. Now, uh, this far of the known covenant family, about half are Jews. Mm-hmm. So it's certainly possible. That. And mm-hmm. what, um, uh, you know, right now I'm rewriting uh, the introduction to God. And I've created an entirely new chapter in our introduction to God. I think I'm about page 70 of it now. And it's called, Why You, Why Me? So why are you reading this book? What, what can we tell about you that you're even reading this book, which is now going to be the first book on the bookshelf for all of uh, these. I think it'll be the, uh, the 21st, I'm hoping, um, by way of, of announcement. Uh, we did complete uh, Moed, which is volume six of Yada Yah today. Uh, Jackie has turned it into uh, to Amazon. Uh, it'll be on the website within the next couple of days. And it will uh, be at Amazon to purchase as a paperback probably by tomorrow or the following day. <laughs> so that'll take us to about 20, I think, among the, uh, the books. And mm-hmm. we've turned our attention to Introduction to God, and in the midst of this, the, the story is, why you, why me? Why are you here? And uh, it's an interesting story about uh, how Yahweh introduces himself to certain people, why he does, what uh, they typically have in common. And then, uh, why me? It's the first time I decided that right from the beginning, we're going to share with readers exactly what Yahweh had to say about uh, our mission, who we are, what we're doing, and how they should uh-huh. respond to it. So it'll be an interesting read when it's, uh, when it's all done. So God is saying, I have seen and considered his ways, and yet I will heal him. I will lead and guide him to reconciliation and restoration. So how is Yahweh going to do that? The last of Yahweh's prophets were uh, uh, spoke. Mm-hmm. That was Ben uh, Malachi. Uh, some say Zachariah, but uh, around 450 um, BCE. It's a long time ago. And one of the things we have to deal with is why has it been since that time that Yahweh has spoken? Christmas, uh, oh, we can't see that. You know, you've got the Apostle Paul and. St. John and... No, I'm sorry. No. You know, 
if Yosha spoke Hebrew and wrote Hebrew and left a written record like Yosha, for example, writing it all down the scroll, like Zechariah, writing it all down the scroll, like Malachi, writing it all down the scroll, like Dode, writing it all down the scroll, like Moshe, writing it all down the scroll. If Yosha had written his thoughts and words on a scroll, then I would count that as the word of God. Mm-hmm. But he didn't. No. Not one. If there had been a contemporaneous scribe, <laughs> fluent in Hebrew, that as Yosha was delivering the Sermon on the Mount, <clears throat> wrote down everything he said in Hebrew and maintained that for us, and it came on to us in a uh, protected, credible way. I might even consider that to be uh, the word of God. Mm -hmm. But we have no such thing. Not even close. And so you can't even say that, uh, well, what about Revelation? What about it? You know, the, you know, the only parts of Revelation that are credible Daniel uh, somebody, are paraphrases somebody. of Daniel, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Malachi, mm-hmm. Yashaya. Okay, well, it's nice to have a paraphrase, but do you need one? No. No? No? Uh, I spent a lot of time sharing, particularly having just completed Moed, because it's talking about the unfulfilled uh, three uh, of the Moed Mikre. So I have spent a lot of time on those, talking about what I was going to do in the uh, the future. And guess what? I never turned to Revelation once. (laughs) No, no, one time. To to try to figure it out. You know, uh, Zachariah and Malachi never leave that subject. The uh, last third of, of Yeshaya is focused on that subject. The last third of Yermaya is focused on that subject. So there's no reason to do so. So with the last of Yahweh's prophets having uh, left us a written legacy dating to 450 BCE, how is Yahweh going to lead his people to reconciliation? He's got to open it up to them. And how is he going to do that? You're going to write it, and then you're going to talk about it. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. And really if easy. there were, because we're, we're now just uh, 2001, we're 12 years from Yahweh's return. So if there was a alternative to a comprehensive presentation of Yahweh's name, his creation account, the formation of the covenant, the purpose of each Moed Mikre, of, uh, of what the prophets have to say about what has and will occur. If there was such a thing, then we'd say, oh, see, God's got it all under control. But apart from these 20 volumes that we have now rewritten, uh, what is there? 
And without that, how does God lead his people? There hasn't been a prophet speak to them in that time. And I'm here to tell you that religious Jews aren't interested. They don't care what Yahweh has to say. They care what Mortimer Fudd has to say. Probably not a rabbi, Mortimer Fudd. Speaking of rabbis, we did, we did learn something. Mortimer Fudd may, may indeed be the first, uh, probably Mordecai Fudd. Uh, or maybe, maybe Mordecai uh, Fuddlestein, uh, for all I know. But uh, you know how the, the Christian New Testament speaks about uh, uh, their uh, Jebus um, arguing with the, the rabbis? And how uh, Paul uh, tees off on the rabbis and there's all these disclaimers about the rabbis conniving. They're being sniveling and conniving Jews, and they're, they were plotting to kill God. And all, all that stuff, <laughs> there's a little problem. <laughs> oh, we, a wee tiny bit problem. It's the same tiny problem that existed with uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Because there was no Nazareth in the first century. Uh, no Nazareth in the second century. The Nazareth didn't exist again as a town. It was never a town named Nazareth until the third century when Constantine's mommy went there. Mama. Yeah. Which means that those books that contain references to Jesus of Nazareth were written after Constantine's mommy returned from the quote-unquote holy land to pilgrimage. So, rabbis. Yeah, there weren't any rabbis in the first century. The first rabbi in the Tarmi isn't even used until sometime in the uh, the second century, and then it's not even applied widely. Uh, even Gamaliel, who uh, you know Paul raves that you know he was the foremost teacher of the among the rabbis, and that Paul said you know I was the best of the rabbis. The teacher, yeah, there is yeah. not even a single shred. Not one word about him ever teaching anybody anything, ever holding class, even being respected, even being acknowledged. He isn't even the source of any of the early Jerusalem Talmud claims. But there were no rabbis at the time of Yosha. The title didn't exist until much later. And the first person that it's actually um, accredited to is this uh, mythological Jewish character. He's, um, he's, he's just a hoot. He's a guy that, that tried to negotiate, this is the story, tried to negotiate with the, uh, the Romans for peace. Well, that's like uh, trying to negotiate with a jihadist who's holding a knife to your throat uh, while your hands are tied behind your back and, and saying, uh, maybe we should have a talk. Let's make a deal. All right. So that didn't work real well. So this guy has this, this great idea that he's going to crawl into a coffin. And inside of a coffin, he's going to get pallbearers to take him to Vespasian. Now, back in that day, people were scared to death of dead people. What do you think the, I, the likelihood is that someone is just going to quietly sneak somebody out of Dodge and, uh, and bring them to Vespasian, who's out hunting down and killing Jews, 
And you're going to pop out of the coffin and say, howdy doody. But nonetheless, that's his story. That's his story. Um, and what he claims is that he predicted that, um, that the station would capture Jerusalem and that he would become emperor. And for prophesizing such things, Vespasian gave him three wishes as if he were the Roman genie. Now, of course, the problem with that is, guess who came up with that plot? Josephus. That's the whole story oh, of, of Josephus, that, you know, he, uh, he played uh, a game of lots to see who would be the last to commit suicide among uh, the, uh, the traitors to his people. Uh, hanging out in a cave after they've gotten their cock cleans and, and uh, he gets the, uh, the last straw, so when it comes time for him to take his life, he says, ah, well, well. Yeah, <laughs> so look at that. that. Yeah, he went to the spaceship and turned traitor uh, and said, you know, I'll tell you everything you need to know about capturing uh, Jerusalem so long as you spare my life. And, uh, of course, to make that look uh, uh, better, he says that he predicted that uh, uh, that Vespasian would become uh, emperor and that he would capture uh, Jerusalem. And for having predicted what would occur, Vespasian awarded him Roman citizenship. So we're, we're projecting the term on rabbi on somebody that uh, is uh, plagiarizing Josephus' story. The first actual widespread use of rabbi as the title of a of a Jewish religious leader mm-hmm. dates to the 17th century. How about the apples? Yeah, that's what I thought you were going to say about the 17th, 18th century. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So God has to have somebody that is going to lead and guide reliably direct, creating the opportunity for the reconciliation and restoration of his people. And that is what he has tasked us with doing. It's a marvelous opportunity because we gain far more than we give, but it's something God wanted done, and there were just flat out no Yehudim willing to do it. When I bring about the fruit of the lips, Yahweh speaking, there will be reconciliation and there will be restoration. For those who are afar and for those who are nearby, says Yahweh, and I will heal them. Yeshaya 5719. About 45%, 42 to 45% of the known Jews worldwide, acknowledged Jews worldwide, uh, live in Israel. Those would be the Jews who are nearby. And uh, 42 to 45% live in the United States. Those would be the Jews who are far away. And God says, I'm going to heal them. The only way for that to occur is that Yehudim are going to have to start listening Mm -hmm. to Yahweh. Now, it has been a long radio silence. It has been 3,400 years since Yahweh last spoke to his people. And you can't blame Yahweh for being quiet. 
his people were disgusting. He didn't want to talk to him anymore. And he tells you why, yeah. God, God tells us precisely. He says, I looked. I couldn't find anybody. And occasionally you'd find somebody who was willing to walk away from all of these perverted lies. But even then, they were victimized. Mm-hmm. So no matter what I did, I searched to find somebody that I could work through, and there was no one. And the more I looked, the angrier I became, the more disgusted I became. That's the status of Yehudim, of Yisrael. And it has been that way for 2,400 years. And yet, there is more prophetic ink addressed to Yahweh's restoration of his people than any other subject. So Yahweh is going to deploy whatever tactic is necessary to awaken his people, to educate his people, to lead them to reconciliation so that when he returns with Dode on the day of reconciliation, there'll be someone to look up at him and welcome Yahweh home by name. Cool. Now, this is good news, because while Yahweh is calling his people home, home is the covenant even more than it is Yisrael. And Yisrael is a tough place to live, affected with rabbis, uh, their Hasidic ilk, with Hamas Muslims itching to be terrorists. Oh, yes, the Hamas. They were celebrating the uh, Taliban's win, too. These vicious thugs of the Taliban who torture little girls. And uh, Hamas found reason to, uh, to celebrate that, as did uh, Hezbollah. You know, why I'm thinking about it, how mm-hmm. tough would it be to figure out what's going to happen in Afghanistan once we withdraw? What happened in Gaza when we forced uh, Jews out? It went crazy. Same yeah, did, they went, did, did really everybody nice, forget Vietnam? Yes. I mean, did, did a really nice stand-up, peaceful Muslims take charge? Not, no. not a one. What happened when we forced uh, Jews out of the West Bank? Same thing. Yeah, we got the PLO. That worked out really well, too. Yeah, yeah. Yes, right. yeah what happened in Vietnam when, uh, when after 10 years of war, we finally left? It was as yeah, if we had never been there. Yeah. Yeah, was after, yep. never, we were never there. What happened in Iraq? We just gave it to Iran, didn't we? Yeah. What happened mm-hmm. when we invaded... Uh, um, what am I thinking of here? Uh, uh, next to, uh, to Egypt. Um, Libya. Oh, uh, um, Libya. Libya, yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Total anarchy. What happened well, then, when we started to bomb and attack uh, Syria? And an Islamic country or a communist country, when you leave a void, is it filled with really swell guys who are seeking freedom, fairness, and democracy? It was the lowest Ever? of the low. Never, never. never. So what do we think was going to happen? Well, what happened when we forced uh, Israel out of Lebanon? 
Same thing. Destroyed yeah, a couple hundred thousand rockets, and uh, not only is the place infested with Hezbollah, the country is completely bankrupt. Mm-hmm. It's what hard to figure out. What are you going to say, Kirk? I was going to say that if you if you recall in Libya when they deposed him, uh, and everybody's shouting hallelujah. Um, mm-hmm. They, they came down with the, they took all the guns and they went down and, and, and started raping all the children. Remember all the girls? We didn't stand oh, yeah. up and do nothing. We didn't do yeah. anything about that. Anything? No. We made a mess and we just walked away. And we wouldn't and we oh, wouldn't save the little girls. Yeah. How disgusting we are. Yeah. We uh, and we won't even hold Islam accountable. No. So while the country is a beacon of hope and the sea of Islamic despair. In today's political climate, the specter of building millions of homes for Jews still in diaspora is not realistic, therefore. While God wants Israel to live in the land he provided, some will come home to the covenant before establishing residence in the promised land. Yahweh's offer of restoration is not universal, however. While all mankind is invited to avail themselves of his gift, most will be swept away by the raging sea. For there to be harmony and contentment, for there to be peace and fulfillment, the religious and political must go. However, the wickedly wrong and condemnable, the ungodly and unjustified, who have been stirred up will be banished just like the retreating retreating tide, like the sea, because they cannot remain silent. They do not have the capacity to understand or thus to prevail. And so the muck and mire of his waters will be stirred up and tossed around by the motion of the retreating waves. This is Yahweh forecasting What's going to happen to the overtly political and the Hasidic religious Orthodox Jews in Israel? God's saying, however, no matter, the fact is that I'm going to lead my people to restoration, no matter, nonetheless, the wickedly wrong and the condemnable, the ungodly and the unjustified, the Russia, those who remain errant and are guilty and continue to violate the standard, who have been stirred up, will be banished like the retreating tide, swept out to sea, along with the Gentiles, which is the metaphor for the sea. And like the sea, like the ocean, again serving as a metaphor for Goyim, because they cannot remain silent. Oh, they are just belly aching over everything. They finally want to you know, come up with new kosher laws so that it's not just a, a monopoly for the rabbis. And so that other Jewish institutions, other than the head rabbinic, rabbinic can establish kosher laws. Oh, God, they just are. It's, it's, it's like you were had killed their firstborn. No, they can't remain silent. And they most certainly don't have the capacity to understand or to prevail. That's, isn't that now, amazing? One thing it's really almost impossible to do is to impose kosher laws using the Torah. <laughs> yeah, think about it. 
Because there are none. Like, what's the quote? Yeah. Even when God says, you know, uh, pork is yeah, not yeah. good to eat, and, and uh, here's the kind of fish uh, that are uh, are healthy, and but these, uh, you know, these fish without gills and uh, yeah, yeah, bottom feeders, yeah. that uh, they're not healthy. That's, That's dangerous. Not that good. It's dangerous. Yeah. And for most of human history, they would kill you. But then he goes on to explain, you know, why something is food and why something really is not healthy. And then by the body, he says, you know, you can eat whatever you want to eat so long as you're thoughtful about it. Mm-hmm. And so there really are no kosher laws in the Torah. They're all man made. Oh. oh, no. No, no. Oh, so man. the capacity to understand and prevail, lo, Yakel, they do not have. They cannot process information correctly, which is consistent with every religious individual. It's just that the rabbis are more pompous about their stupidity. So the muck and mire will be stirred up and tossed around by the motion of the retreating waves. That's how he views the Talmud. Muck and mire. Any of these uh, words, uh, Kirk, were uh, among Refesh, I have to do uh, because it's, uh, it's muddy waters with my stomping feet in it. And I thought yes. my imagery came in. It's something I could draw a picture of. It's like little rabbi children in the mud yeah. jumping yeah. up and down saying, I'm, I'm not going to come home. I'm not gonna come. Oh, I know. And then kicking mud in the I, face of others. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, I've got a sense of humor. When you look at all, yeah. the, all, the, all the little stuff, you go, wow. That is yeah. Crazy. So if we think that the Hadithic and Yisrael are apologetic over being excluded from Yisrael's new uh, secular government, mm. it's hard to imagine how enraged they will be when Yahweh returns. And not only excludes them, but continues to excoriate them and in the process expels them. You know, Jews, religious Jews, the ascetic despise mm-hmm. the nation of Israel. They will hold up protest okay. signs saying that, that Israel is a, uh, an abomination to G-D. That's how far from reality these wow. people are. Wow. Yeah, they don't serve in the military. They don't pay taxes. And they view Israel... Well, they get financed. The very no. nation they live in, the, uh, the country that pays for them to not work and, and play religion all day. They hate the country. Uh, these are really screwed up, disgusting, ugly as hell. Old farts. Uh, it's a it's disgusting religion. And, of course, they pull their, uh, their children right into the swamp. Yeah. The religious who claim to be right will be branded and banished as wrong. They are beyond hope because they are incapable of understanding. No amount of prophecy is sufficient to cause a believer to accept Yahweh's testimony over that of those they, they believe, those that have betrayed them. Their faith has disabled the capacity to comprehend, and that's a death sentence because we must think our way to God. His every word 
is a bit of yada, a bit of knowledge that we can process using our nasama to be and understand. I think you uh, did a little work on uh, nasama uh, over the, nasama, uh, the past nasama. week, didn't yeah. you? Yeah. I did. I did. And it was interesting because I'd never done it before with the letters. I never even thought to do it. And uh, so I analyzed it and I broke it down. This is a little bit long, but bear with me. I think it, uh, I think I'll okay. enjoy it. Um, okay. I started out with, uh, to set it up, I started out with, uh, and started connecting the dots. And of course, I started out with Yash- uh, Yisrael from Sarah uh, to preserve, struggle with, endure the raw part. It means to preserve, persevere rather, struggle with, endure, uh, even grapple with uh, his words. Hell, God. Mm-hmm. Then I then I took, took a look at the uh, neshama. Uh, it's seen through the verbal roots, which is neshama, nasham rather, and that's a nun shin and a mem, and it's uh, to grasp, uh, to um, to in, pant like a mother in childbirth and struggle. And I considered that, and I was thinking okay. about okay, it, it is okay. you are struggling that's, to that's birth. That's all. Birth that's child. all true, and I know, yeah. and I know, Kirk. Yeah, I know the lexicons say that, uh-huh. but nasama is a uh, is a compound word. It is uh, shama, which is the feminine version of to observe and to listen, with a nun at the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. A nun is a child. So it is a nasama is a child who is observant and who listens. Now, I realize you're not going to find that in your lexicons, but you can probably find that in your analysis of the letters. Yeah, and I did get to that when we got to the pictograph. Now, I was doing the verbal group, but then the shama, yeah. Um, so, and let's go to the pictographs then, and I'll stand corrected okay. on that. No, the, I just um, think that starts with the, uh, I, I know what the, mm-hmm. lexi- the lexicons say exactly what you mm-hmm. reported, that that's the verbal root. Uh-huh. But okay. it's obvious that it's not. It's okay. obvious that uh, neshama is shama. based on on shamar and shama. Uh, they're two mm-hmm. exceedingly popular verbs in uh, in Hebrew. Uh, shama means mm-hmm. to listen, and shamar means to observe. Mm-hmm. Means to observe. And uh, the mm-hmm. uh, the awe ending is uh, simply makes it feminine. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's why you're sitting in that chair, and I'm sitting over here. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> with the picture graph, let's see. Here's what I, here's where it all started. I put it yeah. that way. Um, in the picture graphs, you have a nun, uh-huh. shin, mem, and hey. And yeah. I was looking at that, and I asked myself the same question. I said, how does one go from uh, the nun to the hey? And I analyzed the nun, or I think of the nuns as I said, think of the a potential person. It is mm-hmm. a, after all, a, a seed or a beginning. Right. And then at the end, you have a hey, which is an upright person, a person who's reaching up, observing uh-huh. uh, this glorious yep. sight, uh, Yahweh, engaged yep. in because they are walking. And mm-hmm. this is a completed version. This is what we, uh, uh, what we are striving for. And then I looked at the two letters in between, which is a shin and a mem, and they're mm-hmm. standing upright. They're not moving in any direction. And one uh, is nourishing words, the shin. Uh, we use that a lot of times uh, for that definition of that letter. And then the mem, uh, not only is water, life, and cleansing, but you, it, you, we use it now. We recognize a lot more that it is mm-hmm. to question, to analyze. Right. 
So basically it tells you that in between, if you want to go from none to, to hay, mm-hmm. then you should question, you should consider, you could carefully observe nourishing words, which you'd find Correct. in the Torah. And right. I just thought, wow, the story is just complete everywhere I look, especially when yeah, that, you get into the pictographs. Yeah, that's a beautiful um, picture, if you were, of and that I, word. I, 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 just the, never, I never looked yeah. at it before. And the I just thought, wow, the, well, that's just staring you right in the face. Yeah, mm-hmm. the nun is the beginning of a child. It's a mm-hmm. um, something taking root. You can, yeah. you're born as a child, and you can be that person that is standing upright, reaching up to God who is observant by shamar and shama, which is the verb in between. So the two letters at the end are not part of the verbal root. It's telling you that if you pay attention to the verbal root, which is to listen and to observe, you could go from that little child at the beginning of the word to the upright adult at the end yeah. of the world. Yeah, it's the mechanism for 14 years. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, uh, do I- yeah me too. Me too. It's a, but it's the mechanism <laughs> to get you from one place to the other. Yeah. And so there's the story. Then he said, "Then we say Shemar Torah." Yeah, that's that's right. what he asked exactly. you to do. Why? Why? Right. I thought he was trying to get you from there to there. Look uh, at this other word, so anyway. bien, bien, mm-hmm. so b-y-n. So it is the the home uh, belongs to those who accept Yahweh's hand as children. So children mm-hmm. who accept Yahweh's hands are led into his home. Mm-hmm. Beeth yod none. Very good. So Judaism has a long history of, uh, of shakat, which is dissatisfaction and strife. It has made life miserable for people and driven a wedge between them and their creator. It uh, will be their undoing, as if the Hasidic will not survive their faith. It will kill them and finally put them out of their misery. Yahweh has described the ultra-Orthodox as muck and mire, as uh, I think I like your definition of children stamping and kicking around in the mud. They're malleable, they're impressionable clay. Mm -hmm. Tossed to and fro, they lean back and forth in their religious stupor. You know, you see them with their prayers at the, uh, the Western Wall. And they're bobbing their heads all the time. You watch one of their weddings, and the numbskull is sitting there bobbing their head. They're always bobbing their head. It's not only irritating. You're saying, what the hell is wrong with you? Got a twitch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Stand upright. Be observant. You can't be be observant. You can't read. When you're bobbing your head up and down all the time, God, no wonder they don't have a perspective that works. Remorse over prior religious entanglements sufficient to disassociate the Hasidic and uh, cause them to recognize they were wrong uh, is never going to occur. And yet is a precondition for admission of the covenant. It is a bridge too far for believers. This is what uh, Yahweh has to say in 57.21. Therefore, there is no reconciliation 
no restoration or salvation. Ain shalom. My God says, <clears throat> for those who are wrong and unjustified. That's the corollary of this whole thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. To yes, sure. engage mm-hmm. in a relationship with Yahweh, you've got to be right. If you're wrong, there is no reconciliation. And it isn't hard to be right. It's an yeah, open book test. The language isn't all that complicated. Right. Yeah. Listen, Abraham was clearly not the most moral and clearly not the brightest guy around. He passed the test. Yeah. He passed it. And he is working with a tiny fraction of what we're working with. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dode was, uh, you know, was brilliant, and he was articulate. And, of course, he passed the test with flying colors, but uh, he also didn't have as much to work with as we do. No. Think about Noach, how little he had, and yet he passed the test. Yes. So we have no excuse. It's all no, laid out we've for got us. a wealth. Now we yes. have it all in English. Right. Thank Covenant you. has five conditions. Mm-hmm. There are seven uh, annual meetings to facilitate the benefits. It's pretty, stor- uh, pretty straightforward. Walk through the doorway to life. Uh, allow me to perfect you by walking to me and relying on me. Well, you walk to God and are perfected through the next steps of the Moed Mikre, through, uh, through Matzah, so that we can be adopted into his family and be on Bakurim and be enriched and empowered on Shabua. And that gives you the opportunity for however many days we have left to Teruah, to share Yahweh's message so that he can reconcile his relationship as he wishes to do with Yisrael and Yehudim. And then we can all camp out with Yahweh for a thousand years. But there is no reconciliation, no restoration, no salvation, my God says, for those who are wrong and those who are unjustified. (laughs) Rasha is not individual wrong. To be Rasha, to be raw of any kind, uh, is collective wrong. Yeah, it speaks also calculated. Of, yeah, yeah, calculated. It's religious wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's belligerent wrong. It's rebellion against God. Mm-hmm. They're called criminals. Ill-gotten gains, a whole bit. We got a lot of yeah, words yeah, in English. Yeah, Russia actually. Yeah, yeah. One of the ter- one of the words used as a synonym for Russia is criminal. Mm-hmm. It means to be errant. It means to be unjustified. It means to be wrong. It means to be guilty. Mm-hmm. It means that you're going to be judged. It means to be condemned. It's it's um, speaks of the negatives of religion. Now, this is a rather simple and direct statement from God to us through uh, the prophet Yahshua, salvation is from Yah. Those who are wrong about Yahweh cannot be saved. Period. And everyone who is religious is wrong about Yahweh. Everyone who is overtly political is wrong about Yahweh. All of you conspirator 
folks out there that uh, want to believe in chemtrails and uh, and want to believe that that the mass murders are government plots with government actors and that um, vaccinations are government schemes to control your life or to track you someplace. And then 9-11 was an inside job and airplane exhaust as the form of condensation trails or chemtrails to poison you, all of you. You can't form a relationship with you. And want any part of you. If you're wrong, conspiracy is wrong, politics is wrong, religion is wrong, patriotism is wrong. If you are wrong, you are not allowed in God's home. So, so walk away. Yeah, well, that would you think would be the intelligent thing to do. But well, you think. Kirk, how do you how do you reason with the person who is unreasonable? Well, you can't. It's like uh, I think uh, Terry used to tell me. How do you, you? It's hard to talk with a crazy person unless you're crazy. You don't know what's right. going on in there. I mean, you, right. know. you know, to be religious, you have to forego evidence and reason. And so, how are you going to use evidence and reason to counter that? Yeah, counter that. yeah it's just uh, it's impossible. You know. When you hear the arguments of the conspiratorial types, it's, it's so laughable that somebody would believe them uh, and they would, they would prom- identify with such stuff and promote such stuff. You just shake your head and say, how is it that anybody can fall that far down the rabbit hole? Okay. And then think that they're the only ones that are truthers with the rest of us out on the light. <laughs> Are are uh, all uh, part of a uh, of a plot? Truly amazing. Choose to call out, to summon and proclaim, read aloud and announce the news to all publicly. Do not spare your throat. Lift up and raise your voice like a shofar. Choose to boldly announce this report openly and publicly to my people, to the house of Jacob. They are in religious rebellion and political revolt and are wrong, having missed the way. Yeshaya 58.1. That sounds uh, like our perpetual now. You know, I uh, mm-hmm. was reviewing the first meeting that I had with Yahweh. Mm-hmm. It was uh, 20 years ago. You know what day of the year it was? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure at all. Teruah. Teruah was it? Wow. That's when God introduced Himself. Wow, that's cool. That is cool. You know, 20 years later, we're still teruahing. <laughs> Probably teruahing is not a verb, but <laughs> well, that's all right. We make up. We are still we are still celebrating teruah 20 years later. Do not spare your throat. Lift up and raise your voice like a shofar. Choose to boldly announce this report openly and publicly to my people, to the house of Jacob, telling them that they are in religious rebellion and political revolt, that they are wrong, 
and have missed the way. That is our every day, is it not? It is. It is. It is what the Yada Yada series of, uh, of books represents. It's what it conveys. It's what this program is about. Mm-hmm. It is what Yahweh wants done. It is the only reason that Yahweh speaks of us. I'm writing this new introduction to Introduction to God, to Why You, Why Me. Uh-huh. I'm constantly mm-hmm. uh, telling the readers, I'm not sharing this with you for my benefit. I already know this. You know, I've spent 20 yeah. years living it. So trust me, sure. I'm, really, I'm really familiar with this. Yeah. It isn't for me that he speaks of us. It isn't for you either, Kirk. It's not for no. It's not even. It's not even for Yada. I call him Team Yada. No, it's yeah. It isn't for any of us. It's for those listening to us. Yeah, credibility. How much more do you need? Yes, Yahweh. Go here. This is the source. The story of what He is doing through us for the benefit of His people. And so we tell this story because Yahweh wants to benefit His people. And so all of this about speaking about don't spare your throat, lift up and raise your voice like a shofar, boldly announce and report openly and publicly that my people in the house of Jacob are religious and they're rebellious and that they're wrong and they have missed the way. There is nobody else doing this. And it's something God not only wants done, but has announced that he is sponsoring it. And he didn't announce it for our benefit. Mm-mm. But for yours. Get it. Of course. We gain nothing other than criticism for acknowledging what God said. We make ourselves vulnerable to criticism by publishing these books, by doing this program, by acknowledging that God is speaking of what we have written and said. So for us, it is a negative. We'd, we would be far better off to continue to do this anonymously. Mm-hmm. Life would be much easier. We'd still get all the satisfaction and, jo- and enjoyment out of it. Yeah, the fun is the doing. Yes. It truly is. But, I, mean, uh, I had a lot of fun this week. Yeah. God speaks this way to his people mm-hmm. Because he wants them to pay attention. Back earlier in the program, right at the beginning, I said, so how is that going to happen? How is God going to lead his people to reconciliation if the last time he spoke through a prophet was 2,450 years ago? Well, here's the answer. Mm-hmm. Do not spare your throat. Lift up and raise your voice like a shofar. Choose to boldly announce this report openly and publicly to my people, to the house of Jacob, that's Israel. They are in religious rebellion and political revolt, and they are wrong, having missed the way. There aren't a lot of people telling the rabbis and the Hasidic Jews, you are wrong. You have missed the way. God is disgusted by you. who also, to be fair, are saying the same thing to Muslims and to Christians. Mm-hmm. But it's what God once said. It is what God said. And it's pretty hard for us to be wrong. 
Because if we're wrong, God's wrong, and he's never wrong. Mm-hmm. And he proves it. He proves he's right. Yes. When uh, I translated this, Kirk, and this was um, yes. a powerful statement for uh, for us because it it speaks of of what we are uh, are doing. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, the choose to call out, summon, and proclaim, read aloud, and announce the news publicly is from the verb that is as important as uh, as any in the Hebrew language. As a matter of fact, this chapter that I've uh, been working on the last two days um, called yeah. Why You, Why Me, the act, that's the byline of the chapter. The, um, the title of the chapter is Kara, Invitation. Mm-hmm. So this message is sponsored, if I can go Sesame Street on this, by the letter Q. It is sponsored by the yeah. letter Q. Q, uh, you know, it's, uh, Q is very similar, actually, in the uh, in the uh, English alphabet as it is in the uh, the Hebrew. It's a mm-hmm. it's a, uh, a circle with a line through it. Yes. It uh, it speaks of the ending of one day and the beginning of the next. It draws us to the horizon of possibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, being done with the old and ready for a fresh start. With the light fading on some, it shines ever more brightly and clearly on others. Kara. Q. Koth. Re. Rosh. Aleph. Is at the center of it all. Those moving forward. Go ahead. I know I was going to say, can I put something to bed real quick about mm-hmm. Aleph? Uh, because it still appears in a lot of stuff about being a bull. Yeah. Uh, Yah is not represented by an image of a bull. It is a pointed chin. It is a ram in a symbolic form. If you don't believe it, ask Aaron. He does yes. not like to be represented by a bull. <laughs> so cut, ask Aaron. Cut the crap, please, please. Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> Aaron made a horrific mistake with the, the bull, and, and Yahweh never let him forget it. No, he never did. Yeah. And no. we won't either. And, uh, last time I checked, as a profession, you chose what career, uh, Kirk? Uh, I am an artist. Okay. Have you ever drawn, uh, I, I know about, a, uh, have you ever drawn a sheep's head and a, and a bull's head? There's nothing I haven't drawn, and particularly those. I have drawn a lot of okay. those in cowboy no. pictures and sheep. Okay. Yes. So when you're drawing a cow's head, are you drawing it based on a rectangular shape or a triangular shape? It's very boxy for a cow. It can never be yeah. pointed. Yeah. And what about what sheep about the a, other hand, lamb, a ram, sheep, or a lamb? Uh-huh. They certainly narrow at the face, down at the at the uh, mouth. Yes. Yeah. They would They're be a exact, triangle. Right. So mm-hmm. those who say that uh, that the LF is a bull's head are full of bulls. Well, that's right. But they they do that because they're tied in. They can't sell this. They can't sell this to the Christians. Their lexicons without adding all that stuff to it. And you have to when right. you translate. You have to throw that stuff out and know right. why you're throwing it out. Right. And a, a male lamb or ram, mm-hmm. like a sheep, is an extraordinary animal. To understand why Yahweh chose this image to relate His nature, because LF is not the last letter in Kara, but LF is the first letter and, um, and Yahweh's favorite two titles. 
L, which is uh, the ram's, ram's head with a lamed, a shepherd's staff, is God. And uh, Ab, which is the ram's head and a home, is Father. Aleph, mm-hmm. uh, which is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, is drawn as a, as a male lamb because there's something extraordinary about sheep. More than any other animal, they are a flock animal. They want to live in a communal nature. They want to be part of a family, if you will. They want to be guided by the shepherd. They will respond to their names when the shepherd calls them. They will call out to the shepherd when another member of the flock is in danger. They expect the shepherd to lead them to water, to pasture, to safety. They have gregarious personalities. They can actually reason, one of the few animals that can. They are naturally not only gregarious, but kind animals. That's not true of a cow. You know, a bull is a mean animal, and they're dumb. Sheep are smart, and they're very, very enjoyable to be around. God picked them because the, the image of the ram protecting the flock and of a shepherd living with the flock, guiding the flock, nurturing the flock, protecting the flock, was the image he wanted to convey. He wanted to present himself as one of the sheep leading, guiding, protecting the flock. That's why he chose the ram's head. Perfect metaphor. Perfect. And what is a teruah? What is the shofar of teruah? It's a ram's uh, horn. Mm -hmm. The ram's horn. It's all right there for us. It's a gentle animal that wants to be led. We would be wise to learn about sheep. Anyway, the first letter of uh, Kara is the uh, is the uh, drawn is the form of the horizon. It's a uh, a new day. Uh-huh. Yeah, the cough. And the uh, the second letter is a uh, is a rosh, which is a person who is observant, using their eyes and their ears. The nasama. What is nasama? It's the the child who is observant and who is listening. Grows about up to it. be yeah. a, uh, a a person standing up, reaching up to God. Well, the Roche is that processing center. It shows us looking and listening and thinking. And guess what direction in Kara the, um, the Roche is looking? So it's right to, right to left, going to the left, and towards uh, the uh, leader of the right. flock. Yeah, well, it is paying attention to the leader of the flock. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And... What's the John Denver song, uh, Sunshine on My Shoulders, makes me happy? The, uh, the sunlight, the horizon, is on the shoulder mm-hmm. of the person looking at God. The sun is not in their eyes, blinding them. It is behind them, giving them the perfect perspective. 
You know, there's another take on the, uh, on that as well, where the sun gathers yes. it on the horizon at the end of the day. And that's why yes. it's so colorful and beautiful to look at the sunset. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. So it's a gathering place. And at the end of the day, they gather around to tell their stories. After we've mm-hmm. been everywhere during Sukkah, we can go back yes. and say, look what I did. Da, 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 da. So oh. it's just a beautiful word. Look at all the different yeah. imagery you can get out of that. Yeah, yeah, the, the two times of the day that uh, I love the most. And I don't know which one I really like the most, but uh, but I think probably uh, the sunrise, which is more kof to me than uh, the sunset. But uh, I understand that that people have the different times of days that's an appeal. I'm I'm a morning person. Uh, I live in a place where uh, um, out my bedroom window the uh, the sun rises uh, every morning um, over um, some ridges in the sea, and. Uh, it is always colorful, and the sky is always full of those long rays of soft light. Mm-hmm. And it is the—it's just inspiring to look out over that vista. But then the soft <coughs> rays of, uh, of warm light at sunset, uh, with you know just certain things being tinged in the light, and the contrast in the light, and the shadows, and the depth of vision, and the colors of the of the sky and the, and the sea, it's really all spectacular. It, sunrises mm-hmm. and sunsets are special times. That is a, um, that's the nature of, uh, of uh, Kara, is uh, the first letter speaks of this perspective of light. All the good stuff. All the good stuff. So Kara is an invitation to meet with God to be welcomed into his presence. Kara is our opportunity to be called out, to be withdrawn from Rasha and be brought to Shalom. Kara speaks of issuing a summons, of calling out to our fellow man, of making a public proclamation, which is comprised of information needed to capitalize upon the announcement by reading and reciting course, doing so with Yahweh's words. It is through Kara that God becomes known, and we are received into his company. Indeed, this message is brought to you by the letter Q. Our proclamation to God's people is to be bold and blunt, neither diplomatic nor politically correct. Our summons is to be straightforward in public as if blasting away on a trumpet. There's nothing subtle about any of this. It is a warning. It is an announcement. It is a pronouncement. I was writing um, uh, this morning saying that God's invitation, if you're reading this, is now in your hands. And unless you are as brilliant as Dode, or as indispensable as Moshe, I would strongly suggest that you capitalize upon this invitation because it's likely you'll never get another. And I would say that to every Israelite, every Yehudim out there. If you're listening to this, God is calling you home. If he has begun to introduce himself to you. Capitalize. Do not linger. 
it is unlikely in the time we have left that you will get another invitation to come home. We're in a different time Mm -hmm. than we were when uh, the chosen people were locked up and imprisoned and tortured as slaves and Mitzrayim, the crucibles of political and religious oppression. And at that time, there was only one Israelite on the planet through whom God could work. An 80-year-old sheep herder and stutterer. Moshe was reluctant. Moshe did hesitate. But he was in a unique position. He was the only one on earth that God could work through to accomplish his agenda. Turns out Moshe was was the perfect choice. He was brilliant. He was articulate. He was a man of great dedication and courage and character. There was an eight-year-old boy, maybe seven at the time, when Yahweh reached out to him, named Doug. He was God's first pick of all humans. He turned out to be the most brilliant and articulate man who ever lived. And why he did not hesitate when God chose to anoint him and to bring his spirit upon him. If you're listening to these words, God's not looking for another dote. He's not searching for another Moshe Moses. Don't ignore this invitation. You know, I was, uh, again, today, I, I uh, represented the, uh, the NACRI uh, citation from mm-hmm. Solomon. Yes. You know, why you, why me? And mm-hmm. um, in that, it's really clear. God says, listen to what he has to say and act upon it. God wants you to pay attention. He wants you to act because this is profoundly important. He wants us to call out to you, summoning and proclaiming to you, reading and announcing and reciting this news to you publicly. He does not want us to spare our throat. He wants us to lift up and raise our voice like blasting a shofar. Choosing to boldly announce this report openly and publicly to my people, to the house of Yisrael, to Jacob. What is that report? You are in religious rebellion and political revolt. Mm -hmm. You are wrong and you have missed the way. It's not hard to be right. It's not hard to walk along the way that Yahweh intended. You've got to open your mind. Open your eyes. That is the key. Open mind. Exercise your nasama. It's all here for you. God wants you to know him. He wants you to be part of his family. Now let's say this is uh, Yashaya... Uh, 57 through uh, the first statement in 58, and it's a good way for us to end the program tonight. (laughs) It reads, Then those who are right 
will vanish, disappearing such that those who remain will not know where they have gone. And no one will give it any thought, pondering the implications. What God is speaking of is the fulfillment of Teruah, when he will remove his covenant family from the earth. And he's going to do it in the midst of very hellish times, in the midst of a period where his people are almost universally wrong. And that's why they're going to miss the truth. Loyal and devoted individuals will be harvested, gathered together and taken away, while no one makes the connection to comprehend what has occurred. For indeed, away from the presence of this distressful and disastrous calamity, this miserable suffering, such wickedness and wrongdoing, ra'ah, those who are correct, right, will be taken away. The duck. Yep. And then he will arrive, entering into and included among the reconciled, the tranquil, prosperous, safe, and saved. They will be spiritually allied within his restful environs, walking in a manner which is upright, honest, fitting, and proper with her. Yeah, we know the hers. Yep. But as for you, who are present here and now, you are the children of fortune tellers who are blowing smoke. You are the seed of adultery, of unfaithful uh, individuals, of being religious, and of prostitution. Over whom and upon what basis God is asking the religious? Are you so effeminate, overtly sensitive individuals, exploiting and mocking? Against what and over whom do you open your mouths and boast, sticking out your tongues and prolonging your speeches? Are you not the children of rebellion who rose up in clear defiance of authority? Are you not the seed of vain and useless liars and mistaken beliefs? God says to all of those wearing their black mourning suits. Are you not those who burn with lust and rage over the lamb and over leadership and under every spreading tree, killing your own children within the depressions beneath the cliffs of the rock? Your fate, your grave, your inheritance are among the smooth-talking and insulting flatterers and thieves who destroy. Where they go is your lot. As for them, you have poured out drink offerings, uplifting grain offerings. For these things, shall I relent and change my mind? On a high mountain, you have arrogantly made your bed, raising it up and advocating it. Additionally, there you ascribe status to yourselves, slaughtering the living in the process. Then lingering at yet another door and its framework, you have set up and placed your own memorial, proclaiming your own maxims, indeed separated from me, 
You have revealed and uncovered your bed and your death fire and have climbed up into it while enlarging it to accommodate many. Then you establish for yourselves and with them devotees and lovers in whose bed you have beheld their phalluses. I think God's calling rabbis perverts. Mm-hmm. I think so. You descended toward lowering yourself by showing regard for Molech, the lord of the Ammonites and Phoenicians, mm-hmm. to whom Israelites sacrificed their infants as if he were sovereign. With oil and numerous perfumes, along with your medicinal ointments, sending out delegations of your anguished envoys as witnesses into perpetuity, into the distant separation of the humbling and lowly status endured upon reaching Sheol. With the variation and duration of your long rabbinical journey, your ways, they're wearisome, but you have never admitted it is all hopeless and futile. Reinvigorated, you've expressed and extended your influence such that you have never shown your weakness. What did you find so troubling? That you were afraid of me? Such that you became deceptive in so many ways that you have become proven liars, weaving your delusions on behalf of a false god? You have not thought about these things, nor have you been inclined to be associated with me. And you have not mentioned me because you do not even remember who I am. Have I been negated because I have been silent? Has it been so long you do not respect me or have turned against me? Well, I'm going to correctly recount your work. Yep, I'm going to accurately portray your customs and and practices, but it will not be to your benefit. When you finally cry out for help, let your assemblies and what you have accepted save you. Every one of these meaningless and futile things, as if they were a fleeting breath, the spirit will grasp hold of and carry away. But the one who takes refuge in me will inherit the land and become an heir to my set-apart mountain. Then the one will make an announcement. You choose to build up and decide of your own free will to esteem, to honor, to cherish. This about face, turning around and observing the signs before the appearance of the way. Choosing to take action and remove the obstructions and the impediments which are stumbling blocks from the elevated path for my family. Yes, indeed, there will be one who will make this announcement. For thus says the one who lifts up and the one who carries away those he has forgiven, who lives forever as an eternal witness, the one whose name is set apart, he will dwell in the set-apart heights of heaven 
along with those who have been slandered, who have unpretentiously regretted and corrected their mistakes in addition to the spirit of the abased. The spiritually abused will be revived and restored while invigorating and enlivening the heart, mind, and soul of the unpretentious and contrite. For I will not quarrel. I will not contend with or plead with man forever. Nor will my frustration and my righteous indignation be unending. Indeed, before my appearance, the spirit will lose contact and will ebb away. Mm. Along with the conscience, the nasama, I have acted upon and endeavored to engage. As I said, if you are listening mm-hmm. and you do not know Yahweh, if you are listening and are not part of the covenant, if you are hearing these words and have been invited to attend the Moed Mikre, accept, respond. You may never get another chance. With the perversity and the depravity associated with his ill-gotten and dishonest gain, I was provoked to anger. I lashed out at him, concealing myself due to my displeasure. Nonetheless, he went on backsliding, walking in a rebellious fashion by way of his thinking and his inclinations. I have considered his ways, but nonetheless, I will heal him. I will lead and guide him to reconciliation and restoration, providing comfort and compassion to him and to those who are grieving. When I bring about the fruit of the lips, there will be reconciliation through restoration. There will be fellowship through redemption, friendship through relationship, and contentment through blessings, bringing salvation. Shalom, shalom. For those who are afar and for those who are nearby, says Yahweh, then I will heal him, restoring him to favor and health. However, the wickedly wrong and the condemnable, the ungodly and unjustified, those who remain errant and who are guilty of continuing to violate the standard, who have been stirred up and banished like the retreating tide, like to see because they cannot remain silent or be at peace because all they know is dissatisfaction and strife. They do not have the capacity to understand or to prevail. They're unable to process this very information and they will fail to grasp its meaning, be incorrect and cease to exist. And so the muck and mire of the malleable and impressionable clay of his waters will be stirred and tossed around by the motion of the retreating waves, then expelled and banished the retreating tide. Therefore, there is no reconciliation. There is no restoration or salvation. My God says, for those who are wrong and unjustified. Choose to call out a summons and a proclamation, reading aloud during the announcement, issue an invitation to be called out, choosing to recite what is written about entering into the company of God. 
and being received and welcomed by him. Do not spare your throat. Do not hold back your speech. Lift up your voice as if it were a shofar, comprised of a ram's horn, which is some bark of Teruah. Choose to boldly announce this report openly, publicly, in a straightforward fashion, conspicuously informing by choosing to convey this message. Serving as a warning to my people, to the house of Jacob, to the family of Israel. They are in religious rebellion and political revolt. They are defiant and indignant, and they are wrong, having missed the way, forfeiting their opportunity by having gone astray. Hmm. Yeshaya 58.1 that is a powerful message, my friend. Yes, sir. I'm kidding. You know, we normally don't go over that much of Yahweh's testimony without breaking it up with explanations and commentary. But yeah, that flows. Um, that flows pretty yeah. uh, pretty succinctly. It's hard to uh, to miss it. God is is yeah. is essentially conveying two things. Judaism is wrong. It's deadly. It is irritating. And as a result, my people have missed the way, and they no longer know me, and I no longer know them. And yet as a day is coming when I'm going to restore all of Israel that is willing to listen. And as the Nesama fades amongst most people, it will be active again in the few who are willing to hear what God has to say, who are willing to listen to his shofar, who will contemplate his words, his message, his instructions, and are willing to change sufficiently to become anti-religious and anti-political so they can become pro-covenant. And it's those individuals that Yahweh is going to reconcile upon his return. That is the message of Yeshaya. It is the message of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. It is our message. Wow. So, my friend, we will be back at it yes, uh, this, time, this time next week. Uh, the creeks don't rise. The winds don't blow. Uh, the fires don't uh, burn. Uh, you're in fire country. I'm in hurricane country. Uh, the nice thing is that uh, thus far, uh, I, I've been here now in two hurricane seasons, and I, I hope that, that uh, it continues this way. But thus far, every storm that has menaced our horizon has gone elsewhere. It uh, has yeah. been diminished and, uh, and not, um, uh, not threatened our home. And I know that there are fires all around you. May they stay all around, but not uh, menace your home. 
Well, I keep reading yeah. the 91st Psalm. It's a goodie. It's pretty yeah. funny. I know he's talking about things other than just the natural, but uh, yeah. still, that's covered too. That's covered too. So I will have yeah. this. Well, I guess I will send it to you. I have already sent it to you because the 91st Psalm is the uh, first oh, in this one? long passage that I, uh, um, uh, that I sent off uh, today as I was uh, working to complete uh, chapter two of the introduction to God. It, um, that, uh, it, actually, too. Yeah, it actually begins okay. with the 91st Psalm and we go all the well, way through it. Should. Speaking, speaking it of uh, its promises, it's how God initially reached out to us. Uh, mm-hmm. It is the promises that we claim that he has provided, that we live every day. And so it is a wonderful place for us to, uh, to focus, to be comfortable, to be confident, uh, telling us exactly how we would be empowered by God to serve his people. And what's so amazing about the 91st Psalm is that mm-hmm. like all of Yahweh's message, it is the antithesis of religion. In religion, of course, they want to have praise ceremonies. They want to lift up their God. They want to worship their God. They want, to serve, they want to serve their yeah. God. No, it's not the way with you. Lift up their God. No. You know, the 91st Psalm is all about God working for us. Every yeah. word of it. Every yeah, word know, of that Psalm is of God committed to working for, for us, to serving us, to lifting us up, to protecting us, to enriching us, to empowering us to enlightening us, to keeping us from harm's way. Every word of it is God serving us. It's what loving fathers do. It's what any father would do if he has children that are in harm's way, that aren't paying any attention to him, that are lost, and he finds somebody that's willing to go after them. Go help find them, yeah. Now, those people, I'll tell you what, I'm going to keep them safe. Yeah, absolutely. That's the story of the 91st Psalm. Well, yeah, we take the 91st Psalm personally. We, we view the 91st Psalm as having been written expressly for us. Yeah, absolutely. And guess what? Everyone on this planet ought to view it the same way. Yes, I think so. Guys, internalize it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. Well, may Yah bless. We'll be uh, with you next time uh, this week. We'll move on to the next chapter. We're moving towards the fall mikray. So it is a real thrill, uh, finally, after uh, all of this time, to have gone back and have rewritten the uh, the old uh, invitations uh, chapters. And um, it used to be one volume, and now it's three. And it is... Yeah. You surely uh, shout aloud. Uh, we, we do. We shout aloud. Uh, we do. We do. We do. Um, yes. Yeah. I'm always told, you know, that uh, that people apologize for writing a, a long letter. They say if I had more time, I'd write a shorter one. Uh, but but every time we we'll, we'll look at questioning Paul, we, it was uh, one know, volume. That was one volume. Originally about 600 pages. They rewrote, rewrote it, and it was 1,200 pages. Well, we just finished rewriting it. It's 2,400 pages. <laughs> and I expect nothing Hopefully less. we don't have to rewrite it again because 5,000 pages <laughs> would be a lot. Um. But the uh, the Lord, it's three volumes. It's um, there's a lot to say 
about these uh, these dates, and and particularly a lot to say about uh, Teruah, Kapuram, and uh, and also uh, Suka. You know, there's so many people who say that there's uh, nothing uh, like a, a harvest of saved souls uh, in the Old Testament. Well, we read I beg your pardon. Right now, beg you, beg, beg your pardon. We just read it to you. <laughs> Made it really clear. That's not the only place you'll find it. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I was pretty yeah, explicit exactly right. uh, about it, yeah. that it's going to happen, and uh, his people are, are not even paying attention to it. So you better pay yeah. attention now. If you want to be uh, involved. Thing, by the way, I, I am really uh, pleased with is that uh, yeah. it does say that he is, uh, he is going to take all of those who are right and remove them. And yet, uh, we know that the two witnesses are uh, come back, and they they come back uh, at Passover in 2030. Mm-hmm. So it does appear that um, whoever that uh, is joining uh, Elia is going to mm-hmm. have a uh, a six month uh, vacation before having to go back there on the front lines. And uh, that's that's good news to uh, yeah. to me. I will tell you, yeah. uh, in particular. So uh, yeah, well, bring your golf clothes for six months. <laughs> okay, there we go. We'll have, we'll have some we'll have some fun. I am I'm certain there will be uh, some opportunities uh, as we go explore the uh, the universe. Well, my friend, uh, always a pleasure. Look forward to being with you uh, next week. Thank you for the analysis of Masama. I had never seen it that way. That it's, that it is the uh, yeah. the child on one side, the adult standing up uh, and walking with God on the other. That person walking up, of course, appears in Yahweh's name twice. So that's rather mm-hmm. significant. And you oh, can yeah. go from yeah. being that child to the person who is in Yahweh's name if you just pay attention to the verb in between, which is to listen yeah. and to observe what Yahweh has yeah. to say. Yeah, Yahweh yeah. Yep. Yeah. May Nashama us all and Shabbat Shalom. Good night. Shabbat Shalom. Good night.